The reading is taken from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 39. Jesus drives out an impure spirit. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Jesus heals many. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Jesus prays in a solitary place. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out de demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's give the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this morning, I just would love to take a moment just to reflect a little bit on this day in the life of Jesus and think about the patterns of solitude and silence and activity that he engaged in. I think particularly in our sometimes frantic world and frantic lifestyles, um, it's really important to recognize that the peace of God, the, the recognition of the presence of God comes not just through believing that Jesus is the Christ, but also by believing that he shows us the pattern by which we can live, that we are to be disciples becoming like him, not just in word and in thought processes, but also in terms of the actions and patterns of our lives. Whenever we hear words like solitude or silence, we may well think of punishments, we may well think of films like Cast Away with Tom Hanks or Matt Damon in the film The Martian, uh, which highlight not only the, the physical challenges of being 
alone, but also the psychological challenges of being living a solitary life. So we may think of solitude as something to be endured rather than something to be enjoyed. On the other hand, our lives may be so full of noise and hassle that we long to be alone. We long to have silence, to give our heads peace, even for just an hour or so. Although we may suspect that after that hour, we may well once again long for the noise and the activity. We may well have this sense of nervousness about being alone and silent for more than a short period of time. Solitude and loneliness may be closely associated in our minds, but they're very different. Solitude is the glory of being alone. Loneliness is the pain of being alone. So solitude is being alone with God. And so it's not being lonely because we're intensely aware of the presence of God. Whereas loneliness is inner emptiness, solitude is inner fullness. Solitude and silence are spiritual exercises of abstinence in which we develop regular patterns of sustaining from being with people and from noise to grow closer to the Lord. Sometimes when it comes to things like Lent and we maybe decide to go off something uh, for six weeks or to do something for six weeks, we can sometimes lose track of the fact that the, the sole reason for disciplines at Advent or Lent or at any other time of the year is for one reason, to grow closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other reason for spiritual disciplines other than to grow closer to the Lord. So it doesn't mean that we have to do a situation like Castaway or to travel to Mars or a particularly remote place. In order to exercise solitude and the abstinence that is silence, we may well go to a, a favorite chair in the house. We may go to the coastal path for a walk. It's not about the place. It's about the intention of being alone with our Heavenly Father. Many of us will know that we need to stop to recharge our batteries, and, and many of us as followers of Jesus will have a, a daily quiet time or devotional time for prayer and Bible study. For many of us, that will be in the morning. Some it may be in the evening or another time of the day. And we'll greatly value that time in our journey, in our walk with the Lord. Those times are like recharging spiritually in order to enable us to re-enter the fray, which we encounter on a daily basis. Work, shopping, paying bills, caring for family members, investing in relationships, getting things fixed, going to get messages, whatever it happens to be, we'll realize that all of us need moments in which we can recharge our batteries. But solitude and silence are disciplines that are taking that and taking it to a deeper level in terms of our communion with the Lord.
at first when we practice solitude, it does recharge our batteries in order for us to be able to enter life's challenges with new vigor and strength. But in time, the further we go into solitude, we find not the power to keep going in the rat race, but to ignore it altogether. We begin to let go of the inner compulsions to win and our frantic efforts to attain. We discover the emptiness of many of the motivations that drive us day by day. And that can be difficult. One of the reasons why we find solitude and silence difficult is because in that place we come face to face with our motivations and patterns of life that make us initially feel deeply uncomfortable. In solitude and silence, we, we cannot accomplish the things that often make us feel worthwhile. We can't tick off the next item on our endless to-do list. Instead, we rest in the fact that we are of great worth to God even when we do nothing. And in doing so, we discover that there are so many items on our to-do list that are unnecessary and are non-urgent because in the stillness, the Lord speaks to us and gives us his perspective. Through solitude, we are freed from the endless to-do list. The fact is that the journey with Jesus, following Jesus, is the only way to achieve this. Because I'm 54 years of age now, and you may well have discovered what I've discovered, which is that I will never finish the list. And in fact, no matter how many things I tick off the list, it actually seems to get longer rather than shorter. So that method doesn't work. Jesus shows a different way. And it is the only way to be freed from the endless to-do list. The exercise of solitude is to seek the Lord in prayer. And we soon discover that the Lord moves us as he pleases. It may be instantaneous that we sense his presence, peace, and strengthening and guidance. It may take minutes. It may sometimes take hours. Our job is to create the space in our lives and wait quietly, expectantly, for the Lord to work in us by his spirit. We do the connecting he does the perfecting. Mark's gospel describes the life of Jesus in terms of fast-paced activity, punctuated by oases of solitude and silence. If you read Mark's gospel, you'll notice that he intentionally uses phrases like right away, immediately, at once, and Mark intentionally weaves these phrases into virtually every paragraph we read about the life of Jesus. And it's because he wants us to understand something. Jesus seemed always to know what to do in every instance. 
He always seems so full of authority and confidence, but Mark wants us to understand that also he weaves into the passages of his gospel what the disciples witnessed in the life of Jesus. The fact that it was solitude and silence that was woven into the life of Jesus that meant he always knew what to do in every instance. He was always full of authority. And so this morning's reading is a wonderful glimpse at the start of Mark's gospel, and I imagine he does it intentionally. He shows us a day in the life of Jesus. He talks about the fact that he's at the synagogue. He drives out an evil spirit in a man. He casts out that spirit, and people are amazed. And then we read that he leaves the synagogue, and Mark, of course, says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And so we read of Jesus, and I imagine what must have been a physically, mentally, and spiritually exhausting day in which he casts out a demon, he heals Peter's, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and then the evening he has perhaps tens or hundreds of people who gather, and he heals person after person after person, and he drives out evil spirits. We may well wonder that the next morning Jesus may think, I think I deserve a lie-in after a day like that. But we read very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. What we might expect Jesus to do, he does exactly the opposite. Having given, having given so much, he realizes his need to be alone in solitude and silence with the Father. And so I imagine him getting up, gathering his cloak around him, stepping through his sleeping disciples, and going out into the coldness of the morning with a burning desire to be alone with his Father, to feast on the reality of heaven on earth, to seek joy, fresh compassion, direction, and power, but most of all, to seek the presence and company of his heavenly Father. He's always in the presence of his Father, of course, but like us, Jesus in human body and frailty needed to exercise the patterns that we exercise of sleep and rest and silence and solitude. Perhaps he knew that the news about the day before would spread and that there would be more people coming to see him. Perhaps he's praying for his disciples to be filled up with the love of God and that they would have fresh energy to serve. Because when the disciples find him, he doesn't say, I'm praying, wait over there until I'm finished. He doesn't say, let's go and soak up the praise of all the people we blessed yesterday. Instead, he says with conviction, authority, and clarity, 
let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. The fruit of solitude is increasing sensitivity to the Father's will and compassion for others. So Mark, in the, in the verses just following our reading today, highlights the beautiful compassion of Jesus. A man with leprosy came to him and begging him on his knees said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately, there's that word again, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. The life of Jesus on earth was a pattern of intense activity and solitude. Again and again, we read of Jesus being alone in the wilderness or up a mountain, praying. Jesus loved to be with people, and he loved to be alone. And that is the pattern of healthy living. So Jesus taught his disciples to follow the same pattern. Later in Mark's gospel, when the 12 had returned from a preaching and healing mission, Jesus instructed them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And notice the outcome of that time alone with God. We read that, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And after that, he miraculously fed the crowd of over 5,000 people. It is in that quiet place with the Lord that the love of God is poured afresh into our hearts by his Spirit. Jean Guillon, who lived in the late 16th and 17th century, who spent more than 20 years in prison and exile, put it like this. In silence, God pours into you a deep inward love. This experience of love is one that will fill and permeate your whole being. It is the beginning of indescribable blessedness. Such love, of course, cannot be contained. It overflows. If, as we read the end of that wonderful Psalm 23, the, when God pours out his love into our life, that it'll not just fill us up, it'll also overflow. The theologian Thomas Merton, who lived during the 1900s, observed that it is in deep solitude that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. The result of being alone with the Lord is that our heart increasingly reflects his. If we want to have more love for the people around us, family, 
friends, children, grandchildren, work colleagues, brothers and sisters, there is only one solution, and that is to spend more time alone with the Lord. The motivation to seek our Father in solitude and silence, however, is, is not to become more like Him. That's not the primary reason, good though that is. The primary reason is to be with Him more. If that is your desire, then I encourage you to exercise increasingly solitude and silence, to practice being alone with the one who made you and remade you and will complete his work in you, the lover of your soul. The process is unique to you, so find ways to be alone with the Father that work for you. It could be walking alone each afternoon, enjoying his presence in the midst of his creation, taking moments to stop and notice the stars when going from the car to the house. It may mean arising early, finding a comfortable place to be still, to sit, to be quiet, and to seek the Lord perhaps to listen to some worship music or a hymn, perhaps to read a familiar prayer, to read scripture, to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. As you settle yourself in his presence, you will, I imagine, often be confronted by a list of worries in your mind, a to-do list that needs to be carried out, or prayers that you feel need to be prayed. It's a, it's a pattern that happens with every one of us. But I encourage you to be patient, to persevere, to listen, to sit with an open body position, not with your arms crossed, as the ancient Puritans used to do, to sit or pray with their palms open to heaven to write down in a notebook or a journal what the Lord is doing in you, what he is speaking to you, and to keep practicing. And as you meet with him, you will discover the wonderful truth that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let us pray. Father, we hunger for more of you. You are the lover of our souls. Show us, Lord, how to more fully be aware of your presence, to enjoy your company, to listen to your voice in the stillness of our hearts. To be increasingly aware of the length and breadth and height and depth of your love and to allow ourselves to be loved by you, to be filled with your love and to be transformed. And all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.